I do enjoy the 4th of July. We're celebrating independence and had some thoughts regarding that. Um, I mean, it, for me, it, it's all about the picnic, <laughs> but there's a few other things I enjoy. Um, parades and fireworks are okay. But that whole idea of independence and our celebration, it's done within context, right? Uh, I mean, we talk of ourselves being a free people, but uh, it's, it still has its own guidelines and parameters. Um, I like south-facing windows, but my neighbor's house is about 12 feet away. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we... We keep shades on our bedroom upstairs with a south window, and uh, I mean, it's for their protection, not ours, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, if I, were, if I were to say, well, I'm free, I'm just going to burn that house down, well, my next view would be even more limited, right? It's just, freedom has its context. You don't get to do everything you want. Uh, even though we live in a free country. And we're always, we're always trying to kind of sort that, even in the public dialogue. There's a, how many rules should we have? Because if you have people implementing and overseeing, that requires a pretty extensive network and, and uh, base to administrative to take care of that. But then if you don't have anything, it, that's, that's a problem as well. And so that it kind of goes back and forth as to what's, what's the good amount to have. Well, in Christ, we also like to proclaim our freedom or independence, right? He has set us free, and then the question is, well, what does that mean? And, and so I'd like to walk through some of those things this morning. I'd like to start out in Genesis. Um, one of the first things you find in Genesis chapter 2 is that when God placed Adam in the garden, what did he, what did he say? To take care of it and work it, to tend it? And so you're going, even before the fall, work was a part of the human life. And so in that regard, our freedom in Christ in context, still has a work component. We're never going to escape that. And in fact, it's foolish to try to escape it. It's more trying to embrace what does that mean in the Lord and what would he have me do. Uh, in fact, in Colossians, um, the interpretation of that goes, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, is not for men. Uh, you'll receive an inheritance as a reward for that. And it says, you're serving the Lord Christ. In other words, he's saying, even though you're working for others and you're working in community and you're doing, he says, ultimately, this is an act of worship unto the Lord. If you pursue it in the right way. And so it really doesn't matter how boring at times things are, or how we feel mistreated, or anything else, ultimately we've got to take that situation into the hands of the Lord and say, this is a part of my worship unto you, this is how you designed me to be, 
And so I need to figure out how to use that to the greatest good in you. Um, Thessalonians, it appears that Paul was dealing with some people that were kind of used to just freeloading or they didn't want to work. And because several times in that book, he talks about them not being lazy or getting involved. But he says, um, you know, apply yourselves. And then he says, um, in that same setting, he says, for we want to be, we, we, no one wants to be dependent on others. There wants to be an independence. You don't want to just be receiving only. And so that's, in some ways, bringing that into Christian context and saying, okay, I was born for this. I was designed in this way. For me, ultimately, to set it aside and try to escape that is really foolish because it unravels the very nature of my being. And so it's important to kind of put things in order that way. In that, same, uh, in that same setting of Genesis, when he places them in the garden, he also says, don't eat of this tree. In other words, there's a do not, there's a rule right from the very beginning. So in Christian context, again, it will never be a life completely without rules. It'll never be a life completely without law. And again, we're going, yeah, but I'm free. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, you are, but it has its context. And so even in the garden, I mean, it's only one rule, which is pretty cool, right? One could only wish. Don't eat that food. I'm good with that. Well, sort of. It'd be, well, I wonder what it tastes like. You know, all of this, I mean, they only had one, but it was too much because of the human nature. But at the same time, we look at it and we go, there are rules or laws in life that we need to get used to and just embrace. This is a part of design again. And so even in our freedom in Christ, there is an appropriateness to this. Uh, what, what the Lord does, though, in Jeremiah, the, the prophecy is made. He says, I will place in you my spirit in a way that lets you know what you need to do. And I'll change your heart so that you're able to do it. So one of the hopes that we have when we come to Christ and, and we receive his forgiveness is that we also believe that his spirit indwells us in such a way that it gives us an understanding of what his desires are and then also takes us into that next step of the ability to do what he asks, which is powerful. And, and so even when we're wrestling with things, there's, a, there's an opportunity to call out to the Lord and say, I need you to transform my heart because right now it's raging against you and I know that that's not healthy. So what a beautiful thing that he would do that for us. Um, let's move on in Genesis. In the third chapter, after sin, and God speaks to the, the woman first, and he goes, I'm going to increase your pain in childbearing. Um, I'm not so much into those stories, but if you have one, tell Shar. She loves them. You know, uh, and I, you know, I, I just, I believe it. You know, it's, 
you know, you have a horrific story of biblical proportions, uh, great, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the comments made, that it's just going to be there. And then he also says, you're going you're to have contrary thought to your husband, but he's going to rule over you, which is, you kind of go, because it's, it's an opportunity to get slapped, right? Um, but even in that, what God is, in a sense, saying is that the selfishness that comes in us, each of us, comes out in marriage in ways we don't think the same. There's a contrariness in our hearts with each other. And it's not simple. And he's, he's saying, your, your husband's going to rule over you. And yet, you take that into a New Testament setting when Paul's dealing with that issue. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, this becomes a portion of worship again, where you say, God, for you, I'm going to listen to this guy. But then on the other side, in that same passage, he's saying, husbands, loves your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You remember, he died for it, right? And, and so there is that same commitment or, you know, and again, I've suggested to you before, it's not simple to submit or to lead. Neither one is, is all that wonderful, right? You know, if you're submitting to someone, it, it's that fear that they're going to mistreat you or misuse you or make bad decisions. If you're leading, there's also that thing of, what if I make a bad decision or I have the responsibility of more than one now? And it, it's, that's complicated as well. But both of these roles have opportunity to be a portion of our worship unto the Lord and our acknowledgement of him. So that, that again, is in con our freedom in context, saying there are relationships that, that function this way and, and we still have opportunity in the Lord to, to have this be a valuable and a good thing. Um, he goes on in, in, uh, in that same passage, he tells the man, he says, uh, you know, you're going to deal with thorns and thistles to eat your bread. In other words, your labor is going to get more intense, the sweat of your brow, he talks about. In other words, not only was humanity put in the garden and, and given a job, but he says, your work is going to be more significant or more intense. Your labor is going to be difficult as a result of sin. And then he goes on to say, you were made out of dust, and to dust you return. So in other words, you're going to die. And so you live, you work, you die. Enjoy. No, <laughs> we're all done. No. Um, but even in that, there is a New Testament portion that comes out wonderful. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. And in that same section, the 45th verse, first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. My sister has a somewhat twisted sense of humor. Um, 
I don't know how it got in our family. But uh, she, well, maybe I know it's in some of the others as well. But uh, I, I, our first son, we named Jonathan Adam. And we said, we're going to call him Adam. And my sister, I said, oh, great, original sin. And I'm just going, what's wrong with you? And, and you know, I had to go, and I had to go hunting down this verse, the second Adam, a life-giving spirit, right? You know, that's what we have in Christ, a life-giving spirit. And we have that hope of eternity built into us as a result of this relationship with God. And so our freedom, even over death, will one day be made known in a powerful way. Let's go on. In Genesis also, Cain, remember when he's wrestling with his anger in regard to his brother? And God tells him, you've got to be careful here. Sin is crouching at your door. In other words, it's looking for a vulnerable place and it wants to overcome you. And Cain is told, but you must master it or govern it or rule over it, whatever your translation says. In other words, there is this testing going on in our lives and there is a, a temptation with sin and we are told you don't get to escape that just because you're free in Christ. But you have opportunity to rule over it and be free in it. Um, in Romans... It says, we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The flesh sets their minds on things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the, or live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so with Christ in us, there is that opportunity to chase different things. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What an awesome thing. So even though we are free, there is a wrestling with temptation, but the privilege is that we have opportunity to overcome. Let's move on. In the work of Satan, I mean, you saw in the garden working through the serpent, but also in 1 Peter it says, be, uh, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So even though you're free, there's still an adversary of your souls. And you need to be aware of it and, and to, to make note. But in that same passage, it also says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So he says, even though you have an adversary who would destroy your life, and even though this, this is worldwide, and this happens among everyone who embraces Christ. He says, even though that happens, as you endure, he says, there is a process that takes place. And he says, 
what? You will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. So you come out of it stronger. Praise to God. Let's move on. Even though you are free in Christ, there are times when you are wrestling with commandments of men or man-made religion, right? That's something that we struggle with in saying, is this of God or is this just something people have made up? Um, he says, uh, quoting Isaiah, Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. So again, there's that danger with any religious practice of having man-made religion rather than the things of God. So in looking at that, uh, Paul says in Galatians, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says, do not yield to that kind of thing. Later in that same passage, though, here's, here's the counterbalance to it. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I, uh, you know, we're at this stage with the number of kids that we have that it gets very complicated try to, to try to care for them properly while attending church together, right? And you get this note in the email that says, you're on children's church duty today, and it's, oh, again? I just had it, you know? And then you're going, but I'm so glad. I want to be up there for worship. And then you're going, yeah, but the worship team was here at 7 or a little after, working for several hours to prepare so that you could have a good experience in the Lord together. You know, in this tension that we feel in community, we're, we're going, well, I, I really like to just kind of take in, and yet for it to function well, there's a giving out too. And so there's that wrestling through of, well, how much, how much administrative activity do we want or how much structure where, you know, can't we just get together and have a Bible study and worship and it all be good and cool? Yeah, at your house? Nice. Going to service anything? You know, going to clean the house? Going to, you know, and just... Even in its simplest form, it starts to get somewhat complicated, right, if you're going to facilitate that. And, and so that's the tension that, in some ways, every church faces, right? Every group of people that try to function together. And, and so the, the scripture comes out and just says, in love, serve one another. That's part of your commitment when you get together in community. Peter says, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're free. Yay. <laughs> but we're also servants of one another. And it's freedom within the context of God's love and authority over our lives. 
One final thing. Government. Um, in the early Old Testament, as God was dealing primarily with families and individuals, you don't see much government. And then you see cities forming, and city-states were kind of that next step. And then you had nations, uh, the nation of Egypt and such. And the children of Israel, Abraham is called, and there aren't too many laws of community in a family that way. And then you have Isaac and Jacob, and you know they, they head to Egypt. But when they come out, and there's several million of them, it's starting to get complicated. And they started laying down a batch of law, right? But there's an interesting thing. They go into a new land, they conquer it, and then there's a statement made a couple times in, in the book of uh, Judges. It says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, after they had conquered the area, everybody was kind of dispersed to kind of go do their own thing. And you're going, that sounds cool. It, it, it didn't last very long. You know, eventually they're saying, we need a king. God's saying, I've provided for you. Yeah, but there are nations that want to attack us. And, and they go back and forth with this dialogue, and, and Samuel is the judge who is walking this through the people, and he goes, when you get a king, he's going to take the best of your land, He's going to pull your children into service. He's going to gather lots of chariots and horses, and that requires taxes. And he says, it is not going to be simple. And they go, no, we want a king anyway. And so they get the king, and within two generations, you see Solomon taxing the people heavily, and the third generation, there's rebellion, and the nation splits. Because this, the wheat of that kind of thing is heavy on them. So what do we do going into a New Testament context? Jesus was challenged, and he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. When they challenge him, do you pay taxes? He says, yeah, go, tells Peter, go get a fish. There's going to be a coin in its mouth. Pay my taxes and yours. I wish that still worked today. But it... <laughs> Some of you need to go fishing more. No... <laughs> Pay my taxes too. But, uh, no. uh, but that said, when they're wrestling it through, you get to the book of Romans, and this statement is made every person should be subject to governing authorities. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So even as believers, free in Christ, we still have a responsibility unto the governments that we're under. A responsibility to submit to their authority and to do our best to function within that, uh, those parameters. So, Independence Day, wonderful in its context. You know, you don't get to do it with the yap dog next door unless you want to buy chickens and compete uh, like we do. But... <laughs> That said, there's a context for our freedom in Christ as well. He frees us from our sin. 
He frees us from a heart that's bent all the time on evil. He frees us in an eternal perspective and frees us from death. So it is wonderful in its context. God bless you. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you as we celebrate this independence season. We celebrate that our sins have been washed away, free of the guilt and the shame and all of that of the past. Celebrate that we have been given a new heart that allows us to walk in victory in the Lord, sets us free of our sins. We are free in the context of our labor and our structures and our, our, our systems to take those that could be odious and turn it as a form of worship unto the Lord and experience His pleasure over our lives. Praise to God. And finally, we will be free of death when He rise anew in Him. Thanks to God. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it truly is to be free in you. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. Love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you. What remains is open ended. Feel free to stay as long as you can. Settle things that you might have in the Lord. If you'd like prayer, it's easiest if you come forward. God bless you.